Most couples say that they are marrying because they love their fiancés. Uh, and that's usually why people say they, they, they get married. I, I love you. Will you marry me? And the person who answers the, to that particular proposal never asks the question, what do you mean when you say you love me? They're so excited and caught up in the thing that the person asks them that yes comes out automatically. Yes, I marry you. Someone says they love you. You should stop and say, what do you mean? What is love? What does the world think love is? What do you think love is? Is what I was trying to get at. I'm going to give you several definitions. You could jot them down. And uh, let's see how close they are to this list. Love is a feeling you feel when you get a feeling that you never felt before. <laughs> Heard that one? That's, a, that's not a old one, but that's a modern one. That's that, that happening right now. Right on this minute somewhere in this, in this country. Somebody is saying that's what they feel about someone. A feeling they never felt before. Another one they give is uh, love is a perpetual state of uh, ecstasy. Anesthesia. Just dream. It's living in a, in a world of fantasy. Perpetual state of Anesthesia. Just can't believe this thing is happening. Some also say that love is a find, a fire, a heaven, a hell, where pleasure, pain, and sad repentance dwell. Describes a lot of people's feelings. Others say love is a grave mental disease. Someone gave these definitions, man. To some means to love somebody is not just a strong feeling, it's a decision, it's a judgment, it's a promise. Others say love is unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. What does all these things mean? To most of the world, love is sex. As a matter of fact, if you don't have love, you can make some. Isn't that amazing? Let's make some love today. As if you're something you can make. How sad. The Word of God has a lot to say about love. But I'm not going to deal with it from just a list of scriptures. Because you could do that on your own. I'll give you a list of scriptures uh, you will get them next week because I got to get the, the, the copies run off on them. But I'll give you some scriptures on them uh, if you want to take that route. I want to talk about the problems uh, of identifying love. What love is not. It's more important sometimes to know what something is not. <laughs> then when you finish that, you end up with what it is. The first problem with defining love in our English language is that our English language is a very limited language. We have a problem in English. The problem in English is that English has single words for many things. Let me give you an example. If I say, um, give me some bread. Now you got to figure out what I mean. 
You're not sure what I mean anymore in English, do you? I may ask for money or I may ask for some purity. The white stuff, the gum. When you're ready, it turns to gum. Uh, if I say to you, uh, hey man, that's heavy. What do I mean? Heavy used to mean lifting something that had a lot of weight. But now we don't know what heavy means anymore when somebody uses it. That one word means a lot of things. Uh, this word love has run into the same problem in the English language. So the people who, who are English-speaking people have a tremendous problem with love. And that's a lot of people. The people who have their languages in the Germanic language backgrounds, and that is you know, the, the Hebraic languages and the Greek languages and uh, other languages that derive from that, Aramaic, those languages are much better uh, to live with because in most of those languages you'll never find one word meaning, meaning different things. There's only one word for one thing in one situation. Listen to this. I love my dog. I love ice cream. I just love that house. I love guinea pigs. I love my wife. You realize what I just did? I use the same love word to love a guinea pig and ice cream and, love, and to love my wife. So my wife doesn't know for sure <laughs> if I love her like I love the guinea pig because it's the same word. So that's the problem we have in English. We don't have any other words for love. So when you say you love snakes, and then you say you love your wife, you may be telling her, she's a snake. I love snakes, and this is my wife. I love her. And so the problem then, with us understanding the word, or understanding the concept love, is that we are confused as to what it is. We don't know what it is. The love you have for ice cream cannot be the same love you have for your wife. And yet, why you use the same word? So the English language is a poor language. Uh, love, then, there's a question I have on the top of your page. If to be married, you had to convince a jury in court of law that you really did love the other person. Before you got married, it was a requirement that you had to go to court and prove that you loved the person before they gave you the license to marry that person. What facts would you bring to present to that jury to prove to them you love that person? What, what would you do? I want you to think about this. <laughs> I mean, this is a problem. What would you bring them? I don't know. Uh, what'd you bring them? <laughs> Postcards? Letters? 
uh, scars. <laughs> you know, I don't know, an empty wallet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> spend all my money, you know. No. So, so what we call love, we don't, we're not quite sure what it is. So we got to figure out what this thing is not. In the Greek language, which is what the New Testament is written in, and then in Greek language, which is what the Old Testament is written in, uh, they don't have any problems with this thing. God doesn't have any problems with love. God knows exactly what love is, and he knows what it's not. And so I've listed the four words that are used in the Greek language that we have translated love. These four words mean different things. But we call them all love. And so we don't know quite uh, what's going on. I have, uh, there's a, there's a, f a fifth one I left out, I'm sorry. Uh, we need to write that in. It would be E, and that's eros, which is a Greek word that is used, and we translate that love as well, but it's not love. Now these four words, five words, uh, they're really four. The first two I wanted to separate because they're from the same root, but they describe different relationships. Let's look at the, the word, the first word, phileo. Four words in the Greek that are described in our English language as love. There's phileo, there is eros, then there is stego, and then there is agape. Four major words. Phileo, stego, eros, and agape. These words are definitely in use, in, in operation today, even though we don't understand them in their workings. Let's look at the first one, phileo. This word that we translate love from phileo, the word phileo is the most general word for love or regard for affection. And for Leo means the love between friends, just casual friends. So, uh, you know, you say to your, to your friend, I, I love you, man. You wouldn't say that in Greek. You would say, I phileo you. See the difference? Now, in English, you say to to your friend, I love you, and then say to your wife, I love you, your wife could be confused. But in Greek, there's no confusion. If you say, say I phileo you, they know that you're not married. They know that this is no uh, family relationship either. This is a friendship between these two people. This word, phileo, has to do with uh, friendship. And friendship, and love between friends, Philio, has some interesting things in it. It has to do with favor. F-A-V-O-R? I, I forgot. F-A-V-O-U-R, I got it right. 
And it also has to do with attraction. It has to do with relations. This is for Leo. This word for Leo uh, has, has a root word for Lima, and it means to kiss. And this is the word they use when they talk about friends kissing each other on two sides of the cheeks in the day of Jesus, like Judas kissed Jesus. Uh, he, would, he would be saying to Jesus, I for Leo you. That's probably why he got in trouble. Because he didn't agape Jesus. But that is a sign of friendship, a kiss. Uh, the word, if you look at the word phileo, it is where we get the word philosophy from. The word philosophy means love of knowledge. So phileo means to have a, a friendship. And philosophy means to have a strong attraction to knowledge. Someone who likes knowledge is called a philosopher. Philadelphia, the city, is known as what? The city of love, city of friendship. That's where they got the word from. So this word is a Greek word, and it means relationships or friendship love, friendships. Uh, then we go to To the second word, philos, and I'll give you that, this is related, but this is sort of a friendship that has to do with obligation, this philos word. It's friendship, but it's now obligation. Both of these words are normally mentioned alongside each other, philio and philos because they basically come from the same root word. So you can simply put uh, fulfill us, friendship with obligation. Jesus mentions this word in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, when he said, go to the world and make friends with the world. It's interesting, isn't it? He didn't say go to the world and agape the world. He said, go to the world and philos the world. Philos. And this word means to win friends for yourselves uh, on the level of acquaintance. Be acquainted with what the world is doing. Be aware of what the world is doing. Remember when they came to Jesus and... Uh, When Jesus went to Pilate, rather, and Pilate was going to let him go, and the people cried out, you are no friend of Caesar. This word is used there to describe the relationship. Friendship. So you're not Caesar's friend. Philos. All right. Uh, let's look at this 
And the next word, stego. Stergo is the relationship between family. This is uh, your relatives. This is the, the love you have between children and parents. It's very crucial to remember this. And it involves respect. I cannot describe how serious this is. This is an important distinction. Now when you say to your parents, I love you, I love my mother, I love my father, you do not love your father or your mother the way you love your wife. You see how important to separate these words? And so some parents even get confused and say, I thought you said you love me, son. And you don't come see me. But I love you. I stay gay you, but I don't agape you. <laughs> There's a difference. Now why is this important? Because this explains why uh, people spend more time with friends than they do with family. That's why you tell your friends more than, than you tell your family about yourself. That's why you run to your friends when you're in trouble, not to your family. Because family it's a different kind of relationship. It's a love. Uh, I'm going to give you a list of reasons why these loves have problems. But it's a love that really has a lot of problems in it. Because it is love that is based on a biological fact. You know, you're my brother. My brother's here today. He's my brother. I love him as a brother. But you know that family don't get to know one another. You notice that? My brother and I never went out to sit down and have you know, ice cream just to talk, find out with each other. But he did it with his friends. I do it with my friends. You sleep with your brother and sister in the bed and don't know them. Uh, who do you spend all your time with? Not your brothers, your sisters, you spend it with your friends. And so when you tell people you love your family, you shouldn't use the word love. You better use a different word because it's a different word. You see? Now they won't know what you're talking about. But you understand what I'm saying? It's in, in, in the Greek, right away, you know, if you and I are standing up and we speak, we speak the Greek language, and I say to all these people, oh, uh, I stay go her. Right away you know she's my relative. You know, it's not, you can't think anything, you know, sexual or anything. I mean, there's a distinction between the two. But now if I stand here and say I love her, she might be my sister, but you don't know. You may think, you know, I'm cutting up, you know, or, or something negative, see? And so you don't make any mistakes when you understand the differences. Uh, then we have the third major word, and that's the word eros. I will separate that before we get to agape. Eros. And this word eros has to do with sensual attraction. Love between male and female. 
This is sensual attraction between male and female. This is therefore sexual interaction. This, if you were to look up the Greek definitions of this word eros, you'd see words like this. Longing, craving, desiring. And this is the key to eros, sensual. The word sensual is an interesting word. It comes from, from the word senses. This love is the, the key to the problems of our society, this one. The word eros, uh, if you look at it, I'm sure you already figured it out, is where we get our word erotic or erotica. And that's what they use, of course, in pornography. Uh, erotic material would be describe material that deal with passionate sex, explicit sex. Uh, they got places in the United States clubs that they call, that name the thing eros or, or erotic. Now the word eros uh, is an interesting word because it's the name of a, of a god, a Greek god as well. And it is the god of sex, of fertility. And they used to worship this god, eros, by going to the temple and having sex on the altar. Uh, these are things that people don't like to think about, but it's a fact. And if you were to read Greek history and Roman history, you will dis discover that this was a very famous god. Of course, what we don't understand uh, is that this god is still alive and well and being worshipped right now in this city. This god is more in control now than he was back in the Roman days. This God is being worshipped at altars on every square block of this country. This God, Eros. Every bookstore got him, worshipping him. Yeah, the video stores, I understand, around the town got this God. You can worship him. You go to sex movies and, 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 and theaters all over the United States and, and Amsterdam, and they got this. This God is alive and well. You can worship him. But in the day of Paul and the day of Jesus, you could go to this to a temple, literal temple, where they had this big god of god Eros, and and you could go ahead and, and uh, worship the, worship him, and you do it by sex. To show you how serious this thing was, Corinth, which is the the city where Paul went to, where he sent a letter and he went to preach, the word Corinth means corrupt. You shouldn't forget that. <laughs> so Corinthians means corruption. <laughs> what a name to give a city. The Romans called it Corinth because it was such a corrupt city, that's what they named it. When they took over, they, they called the city corruption. And in the city of Corinth is where they had one of the largest temples to Eros. And it was in the city of Corinth where they used to have prostitutes, both male and female, that used to live right around the corner from, you know, right in, right in the porches of the temple, these little huts. 
And so when you wanted to worship, you had your available partner. Sad, huh? And so they had a city full of prostitutes, homosexual prostitutes and heterosexual prostitutes. The, the, Paul begins to allude to these particular people sometimes in his writings when he, when he was talking to them about, you know, letting their hair grow back and, and they shouldn't cut their hair and that kind of thing. To the women, because the prostitutes who live in the temples used to shave their hair and that's how you identified them. Shave their hair and they used to wear all kind of bands of jewels all around their hands and, and their upper arms and long earrings and they were all painted up and, and so, you know, you couldn't miss a worship partner, <laughs> if I may use that word. And that's why the, the, the male prostitutes used to let their hair grow. Isn't that strange? Man always reversed God's order. And so you had men with long hair, long, long hair. And that's how you could tell that this guy was available. So if you come, you know, if you pass through the city and you want to stop and worship Eros, you don't have to guess about making a mistake. You know, you would go to a young girl, you might, she might, you know, I mean, she may slap you in your face. But then with these folks, ain't no way you could miss them. And so when Paul went there and began to preach the gospel, many of these people who used to worship the God of you know, Eros, they got saved. They came to Jesus and they gave their life to the Lord. And uh, many of them used to, you know, uh, when they go to church, the women, uh, they used to be going to church, you know, to the church house to worship, and they had problems because the hair didn't grow over overnight. You understand the problem? They had bald head, and you know, and all these earrings and makeup still on. They didn't know it was. They got saved. They didn't know anything about this thing. Young Christians. So when they were going on their way to the temple, here comes these guys, you know. Hey, baby, let's go worship. And they had trouble, problems. With this, you're trying to explain to these fellows, you know, hey, we should be changed. And the men who got saved had the same problem, you know. The women come to them, or other men come to them, and you know, they were, and the guy says, no, man, I'm changing. But they see the long hair still on, and they see the girls' hair still shaved. So Paul had to solve the problem. Uh, they wrote him a letter and said, Paul, we're having problems, man. People, you know, harassing us. So he said, tell the women, let their hair grow, and while they're waiting, let them cover their heads. So nowadays, these people wear hat. They don't know why Paul said, well, cover your head. See, they, 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 they prostitutes. <laughs> it's amazing how we twist doctrine and mess things up. Eh? Now we got all the churches wearing hats, and they don't know why Paul said wear hats. See, you never had a prostitute problem with a bald head. So I can't tell you wear a hat, cover your head. Because it doesn't relate to you. It has nothing to do with you. It was a personal situation in a certain time, at a certain place, with a certain problem. Now, when you make that a doctrine, you're in trouble. Then the same passage Paul tells the men, he says, uh, and men, cut your hair, because nature does prove that God created men that was short here, it's better for you, and etc. That's what he meant by that. When he told the men to cut them, you know, cut their hair. He says, he says, he says, cut your hair, plus it's better for you anyhow. Okay? Uh, and nature proves it's healthier for a man to have shorter hair. So Paul was writing those things to deal with this problem with eros. These people used to be a part of that cult. Well, I said that to just to give you some background on how serious this particular God was and still is. Um, once again, I'd say that he is still probably the number one problem today. This demon, Eros. But this is an important word to remember because this is what even you Christians 
unconsciously called love. You know, if, you, if they say, if your sexual life isn't good, your love ain't no good. See how we relate those two things? So if you don't have a good sexual partner, then you feel depressed, sad, then you break up. Why? Because you, you equate love with sex. And love has nothing to do with sex. Nothing. You're going to prove it in a minute. So eros is a word that is given to describe the sensual activity uh, sexually between animals. So if, if two dogs are having sex, the Greek would say that they are in an erotic state. So you are no better than a dog when you're experiencing eros. It's totally sensual and chemical. That's why I was happy when someone said chemistry. You see, that's what the word called love, but that's, that's not love at all. That's just chemicals interacting with each other. The last word that the Greek has for love, and this word is a very rare word, agape. The etymology of agape or agapo is not clear because it's a word that was created to describe the love of God. It appears uh, a couple of times in Greek lit literature because they were trying to describe a love that they never, that they never could, e could describe. And this word uh, is, is only found in the, in, the, in the Greek language and it was used by Jesus. There's only one reference to this word that has been found outside the Bible. That's important. This word, agape. This love is a love that describes a move by one for the sake of the other. That's how they try to define this. The move of one for the sake of the other. A generous move by one for the sake of the other. This is the word that is used when John says God is the word there is agape. So this love is actually a person. And this will be a problem. That's why you cannot even experience this love without God. So all the other loves are possible except this one without God. You cannot know this one without God. We find uh, in the book of 1st John chapter 4 it says he that does not agape does not know God for God is agape. Yes. It goes on to say and now here is agape not that we first agape God, but that God agape us. In other words, if God don't give this to you, you can't even give it back to God. So God gives you this stuff first. And then you can give it to him and to everybody else. But he hasn't given it to you, you don't have it. The book of Romans, chapter 6, says, For the agape of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is in us. Holy Spirit brings this thing. So you can't work this one up. 
you can't uh, read this out of books. You can't get this from another person by uh, intercourse, interaction with them. This comes from God. All right. What is love? Oh. So we know that <laughs> relationship between friends is not love, agape. Relationship between family and parents, that's not agape. Relationship between two physical beings is not agape. Sexual attraction. So what is, what is this? What is agape? What really is agape? To, de to describe agape, we've got to to deal with, with uh, a list that I want you to write down. First, I want you to write the list. Uh, if you have any room in the back of your sheet, write the word for Leo. What is filio? It's love between friends. friends. Okay. Filio is love that is obligational. Write that down. It is love that is based on like. Because you like a person, you, you're with them. It is based on looks. They look like my type. It's based on personality. She and I are similar. It's based on compatibility. This love is based on pressure. It's based on expectation. And it's based on conditions. Now you look at this list. This is a, this is a danger zone right here. It's a definite danger zone right here. When two friends are uh, together, or when, when two people become friends, they feel obligated to one another. And that creates some problems. People become friends because they like one another. Some of you, are, you know, we call this clicking. In clicks. You like one another, based, based on like. Which means, if you don't like the person, no friends. Based on looks. You can look a person up, you know, you size them up and everything, and you see if they, you know, they make a good friend, you know. Uh, it's terrible. This love is really sick. Personality. Now, nobody's, a, no two persons are the same, so how in the world are you going to base your relationship on personality? Okay, so right away you, you are, you are excommunicating a lot of people or excluding a lot of people, period. They, they were never in to be excommunicated.
Compatibility. You can't compare yourself with anybody. The Bible says we don't do, we don't do that. We compare ourselves with ourselves. But this kind of love does that. Say, hey, we're compatible. People get married based on this stuff here. Could you imagine what they get married in? They get married in Philio. Pressure. Why does Philio have pressure? Because the pressure is produced by expectation, which is because of conditions. You're my friend as long as you, and then you give this long list. Okay? Which means the minute you give a person uh, a, 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 a cause for your relationship, you've established a condition. And therefore, they, they are expected to follow these conditions and live up to this particular uh, list of rules. Otherwise, uh, you disappoint them, and therefore they are always under pressure to constantly please you or to make sure they do things right. That means this person can never be themselves. So you can see this here is out for marriage. Totally out. Let's look at Stego a minute. Family. Put a list under it. I got three of them here. Feel affection. Remember, we listed under Stego that this is family, relatives, parents, um, between uncle, aunts, cousins. This is Stego, the relationship there. And so you feel affection for your mother and your father. You feel affection for your brother, your sister. You feel affection for your cousins. Uh, is this relational affection because of biological relationship? Uh, this, therefore, depends on relationship. This here is also an obligation then. Let me show you how dangerous this is. And this is also in, uh, in marriages. This stuff here is in marriages. Okay, my brother's here today. I'm using an example because, you know, we're related. Let's say uh, my brother has a flat tire. And I'm passing around along the street. And I stop to help him. You know what makes me stop to help him? Just on a stereo level? Because I'm obligated. I don't really like fixing tires, and I don't really want to stop. Matter of fact, I'm late, and I don't want to stop. But that's my brother. I watch the pressure. If I pass, <laughs> you understand? If I pass, and he hailed me, and I, you know, say hello and everything, and go straight past, you see the problem? When I see him again, Not because you love your mama. Don't tell me that. Because of pressure. Obligation. You are part of this house. And so the expectations are there. And so you do it even though, notice, you hate what you're doing. 
There are two ways it can sound no good. You hate what you're doing, but you're doing it. So you're not doing it because you love it. Neither are you doing it because you love them. You're doing it because you're stuck in the family. So that's not love. That's obligation. A lot of people get married like that. Say, Only because you use my wife I do in this, you know. Relationship. Hear it? Only because you're my husband, I cook it for you, you know. Relationship. Yeah? The problem with, uh, with this kind of love is that this love, this relationship love, uh, <laughs> is one that was... It destroys... Uh, it destroys unity. It sure does. Do you know why most married couples have problems? Because they take each other for granted. Jesus had a problem with this kind of love. When he told the disciples, he says, uh, this is the word he used, you know. Servants. John chapter 15 Verse 15, Jesus talks to these disciples. He says, uh, I, I, I no longer call you servants. Why? Because servants don't, don't really know what's going on in the master's house. The servants, you know, they come around and they are part of the house uh, responsibilities in the house. So a servant doesn't know what's going on in the master's head. A servant doesn't know the master's desires or his hurts or his aspirations or his problems. The servant just does what he's told because he's a servant and he's expected to do these things. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Now, what is a friend? He says, I call you friends because I've told you everything I know. So you could always test and find out if your wife is, is your friend. Does she know what your so-called friends know? Because a friend is someone who tells all. Now we got problems. I can feel your mind going bing, 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 bing. See? And so, if anyone should be your friend, it should be your, your spouse, your husband, or your wife. And Jesus was, Jesus was trying to get rid of relationship. See the problem? Now, when two people get married, in an instant, they become related. And it's documented by a covenant from government husband and wife and every time we use the word husband or wife we diminish our relationship because we're saying to the other person we know one another just by using the word husband it means we know one. just like I say if I use the word this is my brother the implications are we know one another but we don't we just happen to be born from the same family parents and so we have to become friends See? Brothers and sisters are the same word Jesus used for servants. It's the same word for servants. It means house minister. Someone who's in the same house, you know, technically because of, of uh, relationship, obligation. And so, if I get my, 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 my wife and I, uh, my wife could be my servant, I could be her servant, or we could be friends. And Jesus promotes servants to friends. 
relationships to friends. See? And so don't think that because you get married to someone you know them. Friendships are not gifts, they are results. And this thing here is the same thing with the family. My brother is a gift to me, but we're not, you know, but our friendship is, is not a gift. We need to we need to develop friendships. It takes a long time and a lot of spilling guts and, and sharing each other's uh, hurts and feelings and goals and aspirations and you know low times and high times and you know having time for each other and, 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 and you know spending time together. It's a big deal to have a friend. Most people want to be married and have a good relationship with their spouse but spend most of their time with their buddies. You can't do that because you, you build in friendships with your buddies. Who you spend time with is who you spill to. See? And so you find that your buddies will be closer to you than your spouse. If you're not careful. And when you have a problem, instead of going to your spouse, who you should go to, you go to your friends. Because they're the ones who become your friends. See? And so we got to be careful with this thing. Uh, this obligation thing. Wives iron your shirt simply because they're obligated. Not because they love you. <laughs> You know, uh, husbands, you know, fix the zinc only because they're the husband, not because they really love the wife who got to, you know, cook in the kitchen. See, and so it's 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 a sick love. It's a sick thing to base your relationship on. Let me give you a list for eros. This is a long list for eros I got here. Eros is the big problem. Eros is uh, sensual. Eros has to do with senses. Now let's make our list here. It is 100% flesh 100% emotion it's 100% feeling it's 100% selfish it's 100% condition or conditional based on chemicals it's filled with desires and it is unreasonable unreasonable I want to give you the definition of eros as it is written, uh, defined from the Greek. It says, eros is sensual ecstasy that leaves moderation and proportion far behind. <laughs> it, is, it is a sensual feeling that forgets all reason all will and all discretion on the way to its ecstasy that means it doesn't care 
who it hurts, what it has to do, or how many people it destroys. It wants to satisfy itself. It's a terrible thing. Therefore, it is a love, as we would call it love, based on pleasure, self-pleasure. It is a love that is reactionary, based on reaction. It's a love that is instable, unstable. It is a love that is me-oriented. love that is unspiritual oh what a sick love you hear people say this often uh, as you're growing up if you love me you let me and really uh, that's a sick approach to relationship but people use that as a bargaining power this is what they're talking about. If you eros me, you let me fulfill my ecstasy at the expense of your integrity. I don't care about you. Let's look at a couple of these things here. Senses. Senses are totally due to the flesh. Eyes, your hearing, your sight, your taste. You smell, you touch. Eros deals with the senses. Now, the reason why this is so dangerous is because the Lord has designed your body in such a way that the chemicals in your body are automatically vulnerable to react based on the stimuli they receive. So, please don't ever confuse chemical reactions with love. Anybody could stimulate your chemicals. Anybody. <laughs> if a cat touch you the right place, you'll get excited. Chemically. Really, chemicals are really innocent particles in your body. They're just elements there in your body and they have a purpose. They are to react to certain stimuli. If you stimulate them, they do things. And so, when somebody touches your hands and rubs it real slowly and smooth, right? There are certain chemicals in your body that begin to trigger. By the neurological system in your body, it triggers certain hormones to release certain things. Now, the touch in cooperation with the senses of sight and sound causes those hormones to release that chemical to such high degrees that if you're not careful it will begin to cause you to emote now to emote means to move <laughs> and if somebody were to stimulate you to the point where you have to move you're really in trouble now But I want to describe to you something, uh, I hope you don't forget. Feelings 
and emotions are really the same thing and they come from your thoughts right so if you want to control your emotions what you do is control your thinking if I say to you right now there is a slimy slithering stake running around inside your shirt your blouse and it's about to go down around your back and swing around your waist and the scales of it are slithering down your legs. See, you get your face, you know, you be, almost begin. Now, I'm just painting some pictures for you mentally. I'm giving you thoughts. Okay? But those thoughts trigger our chemicals in your body that make your whole body change its state. So we call that motion. You are emoting you're changing from a state to another. And therefore, if you don't like, um, if you don't like your, your emotions, then you've got to change your, your thinking. So if you put yourself in a position where you are uh, sitting with a member of the opposite sex, the lights are low, the music is just fine, and no one's around. The sea breeze blowing through the window with the moon resting over the palm trees. You understand? I mean, your senses. You know, what you see, <laughs> what you hear. I love you. You know, what you feel. Then your body starts doing what it's supposed to do. It starts producing chemical reactions. Now, People think that when that happens, that's the devil. That ain't the devil. That's your body. Do you understand this? You know, you know, how could I even do that? That's what the devil took over me. Well, no devil took over you at all. These bodies are, are, are just uh, a stack of meat with ligaments, some cells in them, with some sinews and some bone to keep the structure up and some nerve systems set up in it and to make your senses, you know, react to stimuli, and that's it. The real you is the spirit. And so you put these bodies in a certain situation, they'll do what they're supposed to do. These bodies are just dumb, dumb, dumb things. Your body is dumb. You can condition your body to do anything and it'll do it. You ever tried to put your body in hot, hot water to kick a bath? It burn you, right? Burn you, burn you, burn you, until you can put it in. Isn't that amazing? That old stupid body goes, oh, you want to go in here? Okay, hang on a minute. Let me, re let me readjust myself. And it'll change to condition itself to the hot water. Now, this foot is in the hot water and you don't feel it. You try to put the next one in. You, oh! <laughs> you understand me? And so the body condition. Then, you, you know, you kneel down real slow and, you know, it's hot, 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 hot. And then, all of a sudden, that's okay. Right? Now, you're going in cold water in the ocean. Right? You put your toe in, whoop! Right? And you leave it in for a little while, this old dumb body adjusts itself. And, and then you, you start moving, you feel that thing, man, so cold. But eventually, you know, you get up to your chest and everything is warm under the water. That proves to you that this old dumb body you keep blaming the devil for is really not the devil's problem. It's yours. And this erotic thing that we call love is, is nothing to do with love. It is 100% chemical reactions that cause you to emote. And we describe those emotions as feelings. So, when somebody says love is a feeling, run. 
<laughs> pure love doesn't have feelings hmm. <laughs> so what is what is this thing this thing is it is selfish it's conditional based on the condition you're in the situation you're in it is chemical and it is striving to fulfill its own desires and to do it it becomes unreasonable yeah you go beyond a point where there ain't no stopping people say this erotic passion they say it's gotten a control of me this thing is a beast and it's after its own pleasure me and therefore all it does is react you touch it it reacts you press certain buttons in it it reacts it just does what you tell it to do what you stimulate it to do and so you have this thing therefore is unstable now the reason why I wrote this word unstable in my list is because to me that's the key to, to a lot of marriages having problems uh, if you get married because you want sex Okay, you won't have sex, so you get married, so you get a free sex, licensed sex. Uh, you're really in trouble. Because sex, human sexual behavior, is just like every other animal behavior. It's an animal behavior. There's no sex in the spirit. So sex is 100% flesh. It's human. And sex between two human beings is the same chemical reactions and interactions as it is between two dogs. Don't ever forget that. Now dogs is of heat. When they get in heat, they become the same way you become when you get in heat. And don't look at me funny, you just get in heat. But when you get in heat, you become selfish. You can you choose any word and yet it'll work. When you get in heat, chemicals take over and your desires become unreasonable. And all of a sudden, all you want is pleasure. Because you want to react to that unstable me, which is unspiritual. And therefore, it's sensual, because it's flesh. You want to write a sentence with this? When dogs get in heat, ain't no stopping them. You tie them, they break the chain. They bite themselves when they get in heat. If you tie them. Isn't that terrible? And when that thing subsides and the chemicals and the hormones in that dog's body goes back to normal, the dog becomes just like a normal pup. He'd run after your wood and pick it up for you. But when in heat, he ain't running after no wood. No bone, no nothing. Just no bone, no food. Isn't that interesting? Then when he's finished, get over the heat, back to normal. Throw the ball, he go get it, bring it to you. He plays you. <laughs> then the heat comes on again. After a while, it's gone again. I want you to learn something about this. Every single animal has that. The birds have a mating season, they call it. The bears, they hibernate and then they have a season for, for uh, reproduction to take place. And the fish has a season. The crawfish has a season. Heat. It's in every physical animal. 
The plants have heat, believe it or not. There comes a time when they shed all of their pollen. You know, and they got to depend on the birds to take it to the, you know, to the other sex of the plant. You know, you see them spitting out their seeds out in the, out and all over the ground. That's heat, time to reproduce. Then afterwards they go back in and you don't see nothing for the whole season. Now, why is this important? Because God made our bodies the same way. If you get married and believe that sex is love, then, and we're going to cover this when we deal with sex in detail, but I want to show you that if you, should, if you build your, your love, quote-unquote, on sex, uh, you're in trouble because, you see, sex is an appetite. Sex goes like any other chemical reaction. There is, there is a start, there is a peaking off, there's a decline, and then it becomes dormant. And so, if you build your life on sex, if you get married for sex, if you call sex love, like they do in the movies all the time, then your marriage will be like this. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Except, eventually it goes like this. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. <laughs> Dead. Now you're in trouble, man. How many of you can see the, see the problem already? You see the problem? So the first years of your marriage, man, I mean, it is hot and exciting. And you see, you see that as your marriage. I mean, this is it, man. Woo! This is love. But you see, <laughs> your love dying every day. You don't even know it. It's dying. Another strange thing, too, is that these, uh, as you get older and longer in your marriage, these become longer. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, actually, it isn't like that on the graph that I have. It's, it's like this. Straight line, hump. Straight line, hump. Straight line. <laughs> just, just believe me. All right, you young folks, just believe me. Don't build your love on your mind on eros. Sex is not love. And love is not sex. Sex is one of the ways that you can express your love to someone. But don't confuse it with love. That means if you are not having sex, then if sex is love, you're not having love. That's where the world got the idea from. So let's make some love. That's where the idea came from. It's being reinforced over and over again in the movies and the books that you see all over the place, right? And that's what's destroying the church today. That's why we have all these scandals in the hierarchy of the church because people are, are beginning to, to, to become confused. You know, someone winks at you and your knees get weak and you think, oh, I'm in love, you know. No, you are, you are in heat. <laughs> and this thing gonna pass, so you better run. Like, like Joseph, man, Joseph had the heat. The woman had the heat for Joseph. Joseph says, I get the heat too, I'm gone. <laughs> you know, because that, that thing's dangerous, see? But people don't appreciate the difference between the two. And so you have all these movies say, you know, uh, guy takes girl out, 
you see him in a movie, you know, go and have a nice lunch or breakfast or dinner, whatever. And now he can drop her home. You see the movies? And then, you know, he walks to the door, looks at her, he looks at her, music she comes out, you know, and then they kiss one another. And then she goes in the house, she stands at the back door, she goes, <laughs> And he goes up to the car and he goes skipping, Woo! You know? And, and so, the, so, the, so everyone who watching it goes, Love. Right? That's the conclusion, love. So when that doesn't happen to you, you say, no love. Because <laughs> it becomes a, a wrong concept in your mind. Then when you look, the next scene, you see them in bed. You know? And they say, tell each other, you know, I love you, and you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Da, 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 da. Okay? So you get confused. So every time someone says they love one another, you see them in bed. And after 20 years of that, of watching that, if you're not strong, that convinces you that love equals sex. So if you love me, you go to bed with me. And so you have find people actually feeling that way. And you find young ladies saying, if you love me, why you don't touch me? I mean, they begin to, to live this thing out, out of the movies, you know. And the guy saying, well, I don't touch you because I love you. Something wrong with me, eh? No, you know, I know my weaknesses and I want to protect you. What do you mean protect? I, I, I bet you think I got AIDS. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the pressure comes, you know, on, on the guy. Or you find it vice versa. You know, the guy, you know, uh, she, you know, want to touch him and, and he says, no, 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 don't touch me. And she says, what, what's wrong with you? You funny, eh? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And it all comes from this bad concept the world has given us of what love is. See? But you could, you could love someone and never have sex with them. Because sex is not love. Can you separate the two? See? It, it, it has nothing to do with it. Now God has, God has pro provided that avenue if you choose to, within the corporate bond of marriage, to, to use it as one expression. But I tell you something about sex now, it's really strange. Sex is, is, is a wave. You experience sex, and then the appetite dies. And if you build your love on, that, on, on sex, you're in trouble during these periods when it isn't active. See? And so you, you begin to find having problems with this thing. All right, we can get into some details and then we deal with sex. Let me close on agape, and I want you to think about agape, because to me this is going to be the... the the salvation of people, uh, if they understand it. I love to teach about agape, because it's a, it's a love that really blows my mind. Agape is God. You've got to have God to have agape. God is one. So agape brings people into oneness. Agape is responsible. Agape is unconditional. Agape is unemotional. Agape is constant. Agape 
is a decision. Agape has no reason. That's the key to agape. Please underline it. Don't ever forget that main one. Agape has no reason. I'll make some statements and they probably won't make much sense to you uh, today, but maybe you pray before the Lord, they'll, they'll come to you. True agape, number three on your page, on, this, on the back of the cover, if you haven't started writing there, true perfect love has the following elements. These are the elements you write down. True love has God, has oneness, has responsibility, it's unconditional, it's unemotional, it is constant, it's a decision, it's, and it has no reason. deal with the last part here. True love does not have the following things. Uh, let's combine them. True love does not have any condition. Include this one here. True love doesn't have any reason. Now this is the key how we work our, I call this the equation of perfect love. If you work it out in your love, you're straight. I'm going to use reason first. Let me use no later. If your love has a reason, it's not love anymore. So if I give you a reason why I love you, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. Whenever anyone says to you, I love you because you should run. Or someone says, I love you if you. You should run. All of you say, yes, I want to tell you, I love you. I just love you when you. That's trouble. But these are all conditions. Whenever they give you a reason why they love you, you are in trouble. I have never met one yet all my days of studying the word and counseling that have not seen this as the source of their problem. This is the source of every relationship problem in the world. Reasons. Reasons. 